Hello, and welcome to the third season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Mark Blankenship. Mark is the host of the Showtune Countdown on iHeartRadio Broadway and the pop music podcast Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. He is the editor of The Flash Paper, a print-only publication where theater artists respond to urgent current events in any genre they choose. The latest issue is at theflashpaper.com. As a reporter and critic, Mark has written for The New York Times, Variety, Fortune, Playbill, Backstage, and TDF Stages, which he founded. We're going to talk today about the Jason Robert Brown and Marsha Norman musical, The Bridges of Madison County. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh my gosh, I am really excited to be here. I'm so looking forward to it. Great. Well, we are going to get started with our get to know our guest questions. And what was your first experience with a musical? That would be when I was a fourth grader in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I was cast in the Chattanooga Little Theater's youth theater production of a musical called Tales of Hans Christian Andersen. And there were four Hans Christian Andersen fables that were uh, part of this one big show. Uh, I played a character named Numskull Jack, and he was a doofus who kept stumbling into trouble, but then somehow getting his way out of it. It was an enjoyable part for me. And uh, I didn't actually, I was the one title character in one of the four stories who didn't sing a solo, because I'm not really that great of a solo singer, but I was part of the ensemble and I sounded pretty good and actually can still sing our main theme all these years later. Which musical has had the greatest impact on you? Okay, that is a tie for me. One is Big River, which I saw again at the Chattanooga Little Theater. The community theaters, man, they they really matter because if I had not been able to go to community theater productions and appear in community theater productions as a kid, my whole life would probably be different quite frankly. And I saw Big River there when I was in eighth grade and my neighbor down the street, Donna, whose daughter Katie was one of my best friends. She played um, Huck's mother. No, wait, Tom's mother, one of the mothers. Anyway, so I was super excited to see that. But then I was transported by the show. It was the first time I can remember in my life being taken to another place uh, by a musical and feeling thrilled feeling thrilled in my body by the sounds of the songs. I just loved it. And Big River's music to this day is just music that always uh, gets me emotional because I have such strong, good memories connected to it. And then the other one is Falsettos, which I saw in a college production when I was in, uh, when I was a freshman. And I didn't know that musicals could be that serious and that intimate and have that feeling of emotional complexity I was used to bombast and uh, grandeur of the 80s mega musical variety. So it was really revelatory for me to encounter falsettos as well. Nice. Yeah, I saw I saw Big River for the first time just a few years ago when uh, City Center Encores did it. Yeah, and like it's very true. I remember there was some controversy around that production because one of the writers for the Times made the excellent point that in 
contemporary society, maybe this show's uh, take on race doesn't really work anymore. And I think that's a completely valid uh, argument. Uh, but Roger Miller's music, it, because of when it hit me and, and how it hit me, I, I will always love it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I feel like that's a whole other discussion. But, but then you think, and then I think about, like, how many musicals that you know we get to see like explore race at all and i'm just i'm just so grateful for any any musicals that explore race that it's like let's let's look at it let's look at it from that angle let's look at it from right and at least at least big river retains huckleberry finn's uh acknowledgement of racism in the country you're yeah that's a good point what's a musical people might be surprised to find out you love and why would they be surprised so I am now a person who is typically quite drawn to the chamber musical or the intimate musical, kind of like what I was talking about with falsettos. Like recently I loved the octet. I loved In the Green. I loved uh, Strange Loop. Like I just like musicals that feel like they're taking place in a smaller room. And uh, I typically don't love jukebox musicals. Uh, and yet I adored on your feet the gloria estefan musical i had so much fun with that show and like her catalog of music is great of course like everybody knows that but what really made that show exciting for me was the the energy of the room i was in the people who were seeing it when i was seeing it and the joy that seemed to be radiating off of the cast i i just i just remember feeling like i cannot resist this i'm having too much fun yeah, I actually I missed that, and I wish I had seen it because it sounds like it was such a great experience in the in the room. Yeah, I just re- I remember I believe I actually did end up doing the conga during conga. Like I think I did that because I also I'm sure I did. I, I I have a memory of doing it. I always dance when they tell the audience to dance, and it was just like a delight. Yeah, I think I do too when, <laughs> when they when there's a dance moment for the audience. Oh yeah, I mean you have to. Why why show up if you're not going to participate all the way? What's your favorite musical that no one else has heard of? Ooh, okay. So back in the mid-aughts, I was reviewing a lot of New York theater for Variety. And I saw a musical, A Playwrights Horizons, by David Kale called Floyd and Clea Under the Western Sky. And I had at one point a bootleg of the cast recording because it was just recorded off the soundboard. But I don't have that anymore. I don't know what happened to it. I lost it in a move. So even I can't really remember how most of that show goes now because I lost the recording. Oh, but this um, it was David Kale and a woman named Mary Bacon, and they played good friends who were going through a hard time together. And it wasn't about a sexual relationship between them. It wasn't about a romantic relationship. It was about a male and female friend set helping each other through hard times and it was such a gentle but beautiful and rich show and i remember mary bacon singing this song called greedy that was so good and i I just oh god i actually reread the review of it that i wrote uh in preparation for our conversation and i was reminded like oh my god yeah i really love that show so i would say that yeah well that's a good one because i i had not heard of it so so i've fulfilled the assignment no i mean that's not the that's not really the assignment but i but it's nice to encounter musicals that i haven't heard of what older or classic show did you recently see for the first time and what was your experience with it yes uh, i saw for the first time carmen jones when classic stage revived it 
uh, and it was Anika Noni Rose in the lead, and it was awesome. I mean, I I was only aware of Carmen Jones, and I knew that like Beyonce had been in a hip hop version of it uh, that MT- on MTV it was referred to as Carmen a hip hopra, but I had never encountered the original musical, and uh, I, I just thought it was beautiful. And she Anika Noni Rose was great in the lead role. She was fierce and um, so she had such like she was just had such vivid emotion in that performance. I just remember feeling like she was going to flay herself for the love and passion and lust that she was feeling for this man. And it was uh, really good. It was a great show. What is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think it was possible to get to? That is such an interesting question. And I guess my first response to that was, I think that every musical... I mean, every emotional state can be accessed by a musical. Like, I wouldn't be surprised by any emotional state being accessed by a musical because I just believe in the form. But a, a, a thing that had happened to me emotionally that I hadn't experienced before uh, came in 2006 when I was in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I had been embedded as a journalist with the civilians while they were developing the show that eventually became This Beautiful City. And I lived with the civilians for a week. I was writing a piece for American Theater about the development of that show. And um, I got to see the workshop production that they did for the residents of Colorado Springs. And they had been interviewing those very people about their lives in this very religious community. And this was in the midst of all of the stuff with Ted Haggard. If you remember, he was this priest who was like super homophobic in his preaching, but then also was outed as having had an affair with a gay uh hustler so you know all of this stuff was tearing through the community and the performances in the show were so wonderful and there was a moment when the actress emily ackerman was speaking in the voice of a trans woman who lived in the community and was also quite religious and then as she got to the most um, emotionally raw part of her conversation about what it was like to live there it then flipped into uh, an actress named Allison Weller singing a song called Urban Planning because this woman, uh, in real life, she is an urban planner. And she sings this song about how she was designing um, a perfect city in her mind. And her therapist pointed out that there were no people in the design, that her perfect city had no one else in it. And it made the therapist ask, have people hurt you? Have people hurt you a lot? And Michael Friedman, who wrote that song, basically took this woman's words in real life and turned them into this music. And the fact that he was able to hear the song inside of what she was saying, it was just so powerful. And I sat next to this woman as we watched this moment in the show. And her reaction was so powerful and she was so moved. And I just felt like this was one of the times when a musical showed me that this is a form of art that can give voice to the truth in a way, even when the people whose truths are being spoken are not typically represented on stage, and I'll never forget that. Wow. And you know, a lot of Michael Friedman's songs have a um, a hide-and-seek relationship with emotional forthrightness. I would say, like, there's a, a lot of his music, um, I think, is designed to to come at emotion and then back away from it. And that tension is a lot of the power in his music. But this song is just straightforward in its emotionalism. And I find that really, really lovely and powerful. 
especially because it's so distinct in his catalog. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Let's uh, move on to our topic, which is the Bridges of Madison County. And I guess before we get into what we're going to talk about with it, just kind of start with uh, what, why did you pick this, this topic, this show to talk about today? I really love the Bridges of Madison County. And although I understand that many people in the theater community, especially love the score as rightfully they should, I still feel like it's a musical that doesn't get enough respect. And I also feel that that production did not get enough attention because it was not just the score that was successful in that production. It was everything. It was the performances. It was the design. I just had a wonderful time uh, seeing that show. And I just feel like I want to talk about it more because justice for the Bridges of Madison County is what I will say. It's interesting. I saw it, you know, back in 2014, the spring of 2014 when it was on Broadway. And I, I had forgotten until I was reading up on it again um that it closed so quickly yeah like it was a blink and you miss it experience uh, which is which i guess i forgot because i saw it and i felt like so being part of like you know the musical theater community i guess um you know a lot of people within that within that community were talking about it and loving it but it it was really not as wide <laughs> as widely uh appreciated at the time i guess and i remember being a astonished that Stephen Pasquale did not get a Tony nomination for that performance. Like what? Uh, it's uh, to this day, I'm still not over that. <laughs> Which is a reminder that for all, for all of the sort of like in community love there seems to be for that show. It, I, I feel like history has somehow distorted now because you're right. Like it closed fast. It got very few Tony nominations. It, 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 maybe it's a show that is growing in esteem. Um, over time maybe yeah and people kind of forget like, like over time people won't realize that it it didn't you know it had such a short life right on right. broadway but yeah i guess we should go over kind of what it's about um just a little plot synopsis so it's based on a very very popular pulp romance novel from the 90s by a guy named robert james waller and it is the story of a woman who works not, not works. She is a farm wife in Iowa uh, in the 1960s. Her name is Francesca, and she's from Italy. And one day, while her family are away at like a sort of a state fair, she randomly happens upon a guy named Robert who is photographing bridges, covered bridges in her county for National Geographic magazine. And for three days, they fall into a torrid and intense love affair. And then her husband and kids come back and she goes back to her life and that's it. And uh, in this show, we see that three-day love affair as um, basically it, the emotional memory of it as experienced by Robert, particularly. Uh, he tends, to, he's the frame really for getting us into that story. But we also hear a lot about the memories of Francesca. And uh, it, it ends up being a show about yearning and making uh grown-up decisions that don't always allow you to act upon your yearning and uh the things that we carry with us forever even when it might have been easier to let them go 
It's a great it's a great summation of the themes too. Should we start with the the staging and the design? Um and how that kind of has contributed to in this production, the Broadway one, to the storytelling. Yeah. So um, back in 2014, I was the editor of a magazine called TDF Stages, uh, which I founded for Theater Development Fund. And I was the editor for eight years or so. And I wrote a story where I interviewed Michael Jurgen, who was the set designer. And we talked about how he was creating a a memory world on stage, partially because it, the, the, the story moves back and forth so fluidly from like the farm to Robert being out on the road to Francesca remembering her younger life in Italy, that they felt it would make the show too heavy if they tried to literally represent all of those places. But also because in just suggesting like the frame of the house, just having a few props that call up the entirety of the interior of the house, like one juice glass or whatever, it underscored the fact that what we're witnessing is a story that takes place largely in the memories of the characters. And that's where things become more romantic, right? Like in the past, when we're remembering them, they become more lush and more beautiful and more powerful. And so the design was such that it allowed us to fill in the blanks ourselves and create a more romantic understanding of the show and I just think that is so lovely and smart. And it really affected me uh, on that level when I was watching the show. Design does so much, even if we can't immediately articulate what we're experiencing. Like design is so often um, something that happens almost subconsciously, I feel, when we're watching a show, but it matters so much. Um, uh, and I should say too, Kathy Fabian is the name of the woman who designed the props for Bridges of Madison County. And like her choices, like, the juice glass or the, the the one suitcase or whatever, they really affect our understanding of the story. But I love being um, able to talk to designers because they think through things in a way that are never going to be immediately apparent to us, but that affect us anyway. And props is such a cool aspect too, because yeah. it's not, it, you know, it's, it's getting into like the little details of like, you know, what's in the room or like what's, yeah, what's around and how that, and, and, you know, as part of the whole overall design, but the objects themselves. And then, you know, we want to talk about uh, Jason Robert Brown, the composer lyricist, um, and how he uh, creates different musical voices for the characters. Oh my God. And, you know, again, not something, I mean, I understood that on some level when I saw the show for the first time. But uh, upon listening to the score a lot, you know, I, I just really savor how Francesca, who is performed by Kelly O'Hara on Broadway and on the cast recording, she's got that operatic musical language that speaks to her past in Italy during World War II, but also speaks to Kelly O'Hara's vocal range. And then um, uh, Robert Stephen Pasquale has that soaring um, it's really almost like a, a, a soaring pop balladry that's got some country underpinning. And then like the perfect song, Another Life, that uh, Whitney Basher sings when she is uh, appears as one of Robert's old flames. It's the Joni Mitchell sound. like, And, and then like um, also Hunter Foster and uh, Derek Klenna and Caitlin Kinnanen. I'm not saying her name right, am I? Caitlin, Caitlin Kinnanen, you know, who went on to be in The Prom. They have those like ho downy songs, and 
it's just like awesome. I don't know. He just does a great job at, at putting all of them in their own world musically. You get a sense of like these two musical, you know, worlds that she's kind of inhabiting, like the, like the the sound of Italy, her past, the sound of her present, Iowa, and like how those are kind of weaving in and out throughout throughout the show. Yeah, and it would be such a different show if if she had fully if her musical language had been fully integrated into the language of the uh, native-born American characters, because but the fact that she hasn't, it really just sonically tells you so much about why she might want to have an affair because she doesn't quite belong in the world that she's in. And uh, oh god, I just love that. Well, let's talk about the first song to build a home. from Napoli every Thursday in the morning and a nervous bride can share a bed with her soldier from the States for a week the ocean carries them over lost and churning water and they land in the Pennsylvania Station Where they board a train that slices Like a scythe through the fields of America It's kind of being told in the third person <laughs> At first, like it doesn't start to be in the first person Until the end of the song Um... I don't know if that's like because it's a memory and she's like thinking I'm not sure but it's uh but yeah it's it's there's she's like at a nervous bride it, it and then it moves she's just, uh, they come to America they come into Iowa yeah and it doesn't get to the first there's a son a daughter it doesn't get to the first person until after the ah the there's a chorus of ahs, you know, and uh, then she says, "I learned to speak, I learned to sew, I learned to let the right. longing go."
in a way she's is she connected to that person anymore she's looking back on it it's not me that i mean to borrow the other title it was another life that's such a great point and it actually reflects what happens in the song another life because that song is a lot of that song is in the third person too now that i think about it it's the same kind of structure of like third person into first person yeah it's both of these women are sort of removed from themselves. And then the more that they dance around some of their painful memories, the more they're able to integrate with them and talk about them personally. That is a great point. I have never thought about that before. Yeah, I was just noticing like that they both had that third to first person structure. But I, I'm not. Yeah, but it's interesting to think about why. Like, I feel like it's it's probably a different reaction for, you know, interpretation for people but i mean there's part of it is memory like thinking back on it and how do i feel about it right now then how do i feel about it right now and you know that also just speaks to what you what you were saying like so much of this show is driven by memory and 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 how we actually can become different people as we reflect on our pasts and uh, robert too is um, by the end of the show, you know, his big finale number is It All Fades Away. And he's like obsessed with memory at that point. And so that means that all three of those characters have got these big moments where they're like obsessed with what was. And it's it's fascinating to think about. Uh, this is a show that you could sell as a romance, but it really isn't about it is. a ro- There is romance in the show, but the show isn't really about romance, I would argue, as much as it's about like loss and dealing with loss and like i said i think earlier like i know i said earlier i don't think i know i said earlier carrying things with you even if it would be easier to put them down but yeah just the the theme of of what a photo or what a photograph means um, right to people and how you can look at it and say wow that that was another life or you know that's another that's that was a different person but yeah let's talk about the song another life um i think this was like a real standout in the show um i think for me at least because it was so shocking to see this character who is not in the rest of the show uh bring this this other perspective that uh we're not we're just not expecting yeah it's it's such an important moment in the show because it keeps us from seeing robert as a perfect romantic hero yeah and in the same way that we're constantly reminded that francesca has a family and that she's she's wounding them even if they don't realize it through her actions robert also has a history of wounding other people and we are forced to reckon with that as we see their love it's actually interestingly enough not dissimilar from what happens in Waitress, now that I think about it. Um, Because Dr. Pomander and Jenna, I mean, Jenna obviously is set up to be in a terrible relationship and we shouldn't feel bad at all that she gets out of it. But, you know, it's it's a similar idea of like, these are people who are in an impossible situation emotionally and we are not allowed to have an easy romantic fantasy about it. We have to see their passion through the lens of the damage it can do to others. And I, that's a really grown up, thing to do and uh and i mean that in the best way and i should also say too marcia norman who wrote the book for this show does a great job of teasing that out as well um you know what it reminds me of is the song stars in the moon the jason robert brown song from songs for new world where he has these um 
I feel like a lot of times he has these male characters and that start the song stars in the moon is all about these these male characters who seem so great and this woman in the song is making this big mistake by not going with them um you know they're going to give her all this stuff the stars and the moon and everything and then you know when you really listen to the song and the you know if you, you the lyrics um these guys actually aren't that great completely like they have these this dark past like you know the man who left his wife and kids in portland on a whim and she's doing herself a favor by, <laughs> by not going with them even though the person she does pick is awful in a different way but um, <laughs> but i don't know i think about i think about robert and he kind of seems like one of these guys you know that um yeah that seems really great and um or but you don't really get you don't you never but unlike the guys from stars in the moon like you don't them you don't get like the other side but with him like this song is allowing you to to see like his whole picture it's kind of like that line in stars in the moon that that one guy left his wife and kids in portland on a whim and like if at that moment his wife and kids came out and we're like and we're like actually this is this was our experience yeah like seriously the music is quickly cut off and these three other characters walk on and they're like hey we're in portland why aren't you yeah i mean i feel like it's the evolution of jason robert brown where he goes from stars in the moon to another life where the perspective is actually present um and again i think that's you know i mentioned that this song felt shocking in the show i think that's what's so revelatory and shocking about it that you get this uh perspective that you're not expecting to get that you um you know from jason robert brown or from from anybody it's it's rare that you know you're going along with a character like robert and and his past opens up like that Some tables and the coffee pot A uniform, a girl of 23 Sitting at a table Pulling a man of 37 As exotic as that girl would ever see Asking her a question no one thought to ask before. Color him with mystery and color her with danger and expose them just enough to wish for more. And there was Sand, more than 
I love the line, uh, another line about a picture, back there in a shadow, finds a picture of a woman wearing four years of confusion like a scar. There are some lyrical moments in the show, especially in Robert's two big, well, I mean, he has more than two solos, but the two songs that I keep going back to, there are some things that he says that I just think, oh my God, it's so wonderful. Um, those songs, of course, being One Second and A Million Miles and It All Fades Away. I mean, It All Fades Away, I think, was also the big standout from the show. Um, and it's, I mean, it's such a good song. I would actually, I see, I, I go back and forth because I was lucky enough to go to the press preview of this show. So I heard in a tiny little room, uh, Kelly O'Hara and Stephen Pasquale sing One Second and A Million Miles with just a piano. And it like destroyed me. It was so good. And I think that song is so exhilarating in its unabashed romance. Uh, and you know, again, because it's in the memory. So when we remember these types of passions, of course they sound like this. And the fact that he sings to her and then at the very end, she finally adopts his musical language when she says, uh, come with me. And that's just that moment, oh God, in the music, in the structure of the song, she's, he's trying to convince her, please just come and like be with me. This is going to be amazing. And then there's that moment where the music stops and then she sings, come with me, which is what he's been saying to her. And everything you need to know about the next three days of their lives is in that moment. And then of course he ecstatically then changes into the refrain, all my life I have been waiting and uh, and it's just like you can feel his um, emotional release when she accepts and offers a hand to him. And oh god, it's just I'm like getting I'm getting the vapors just thinking about it. It's just so romantic. Now, as as complex as the romance is, as we've been talking about, this moment of just like raw, vulnerable feeling. Oh my god! As you can probably tell by the fact that I have gotten louder and higher pitched, it gets me every time. <laughs> no, this is a good song too, and I did. I I definitely think this was another standout from the show as well. Come with me. But this thing, this is bigger than what we can see. This is destiny. We are tied, we are locked, we are bound. This will not be reversed or unwound. Whatever fate the stars are weaving, we're not breaking. Second, spin 
second You and I have just one second And me and I All my life I have been holy All my life I have been holy Into you But then, yeah, it all fades away. Also, so beautiful. Past the beating of my heart, it all fades away but you. Oh, stop. I feel like this lyric is also just, like, very simple, but also, like, very, dis- like, descriptive, which I love. Yes. Well, and he describes all of these other things that he's seen. And, like, these things that are these grand adventures. And, like you said, it's so simply but so powerfully evoked. And then he's like, and yet all of that meant nothing compared to you. All those other places don't matter, even though, like, you know, that's what... I mean, and in a way, like, people who stay in one place their whole lives, like, that's what they want. They want to go see all those places. He has the opposite kind of journey where he's seen all those places and, you know, like, what he really, you know, I mean what he is what he really needed or was looking for was in you know just one one small like pinpoint of a place Mm, totally there is one thing that's eternal that cannot be torn apart there is one thing that remains forever true past the thinking Past the breathing, past the beating of my heart, it will all fade away. But you, it all fades away. It all fades away. It all fades away. But you. When this woman who we've been introduced to as a musical outsider finally finds someone whose musical language she wants to learn to speak. And it's telling that he doesn't ever quite learn her musical language. But, hey, you know, we've also heard from his ex-girlfriend that maybe that was never going to happen. And we can feel our complicated feelings about that later. But in the moment when she decides to speak in his musical... or sing in his musical language it's just really really meaningful 
Yeah, I mean, it's just such a, like, one of the things musical theater can do that nothing else can really do. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, is tell, is tell that, that story through music like that. Um, yeah. Then should we move on to the next section? Yes. Oh, I'm excited to talk about this too. So for why is this so good? We are going to look at the song Keys slash It's Alright from Passing Strange. Why did you pick this song for Why Is This So Good? So first of all, I, did, do you know the show Passing Strange? Were you able to see it when it was in New York? Yeah, I, um, I, saw, it off, I saw it at the public, actually. Yeah, me too. Okay, great. Wonderful. Okay, great. So I uh, was sent to review that show for Variety when it was at the public, and I did not have any idea what I was going to go see. And I remember turning to my friend at the intermission and saying, oh my god, I just hope Act 2 is as good as Act 1. And it was! Um, I just think that Passing Strange is a masterpiece of a show. Uh, Oh god, I love it. And it's another one that, like, doesn't get enough love. Um, but at least it's been filmed and is available on film. And it's beautifully filmed by Spike Lee. So, like, you can still see what it was about. But I I will never forget, Shoshana, seeing the, the... I saw it three times. I saw it twice on Broadway and I saw it at the public. And I was on the Obie committee that year. So I got to see them give a performance of this song at the Obie. So I've seen this song performed live four times. Every single time. By the time he gets to the end where he's like, and it's all right, and he gets the audience to sing along, no one can fight it. It, it, It's like as one, the audience comes together. And what I love about that is that this is fundamentally a song about the lead character finding in Amsterdam the type of uncomplicated acceptance that he was never able to find in the United States. Um, You know, we, we at the beginning of the show, we see how both the black community and the white community just rejects him over and over and over for a variety of different reasons. Is it because he's too intellectual? Is it because he's the wrong color? Is it because he likes the wrong kind of music? Everybody finds a reason. When he gets to Amsterdam, he just goes out and he hangs out with this woman and she says, you can come over to my place. Here are my keys. And it's not the sex or the potential for sex that excites him, or at least not only that. It's also just the fact that he was himself and in 10 minutes, someone saw and accepted him. And that joy that he feels is then transferred structurally in this song to the audience. Like the song shifts so that Stu as the narrator then takes it to us. And he says, you know what? Welcome to Amsterdam stops being a thing that the woman says to the male character. And instead Stu is saying, welcome to Amsterdam, meaning this theater is now Amsterdam. You will be accepted for whoever you are. I'm going to stick the microphone into the audience. I'm going to sing to you about all of the people who have helped me feel welcome and wanted. And I'm going to tell you that you get to feel it too. And I believe that that is why everyone loses their minds. Because on some level, we all understand that for that moment, we are being told, like, you belong. And that is, like, what the musical theater is for. It's what rock music is for. And it's one of the purest experiences I've ever had of belonging in a musical and i will never forget it uh yeah it's it's like there's two parts to the there's this is like this kind of the second part of a keys sequence where (laughs) where the first part is like the woman it's called keys mariana and it's mariana is actually giving him the keys so it's like kind of in there's a narrator but it's kind of in the moment 
Whereas this part, he's, it's all right, is yeah. just the narrator, and it's like the, yeah, it's like the emotional reaction to that moment. Yes. Oh, God, even, I, I mean, I keep getting worked up as we talk, but this, I just, I, I can still feel it. And watching that amazing movie, it, he he really captured, Spike Lee really captured what it felt like, because uh, I still feel it when I watch it on YouTube, even. Yeah, I should rewatch the movie. Um, it's been a while. I did see, I saw the production in Philadelphia where they uh, did it without Stu, basically, and oh. it was that was also like really good and really well done. Um, oh, good! That's so good to hear. Yeah, translated. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, and I just love the, I just love the line, uh, it looks like, look like Sodom from top to bottom and that just keeps coming back and it's just such like a, it's just such like, it's a funny rhyme in a way, but it's also such like a good rhyme, um, just like evoking that, you know, the, the idea of Sodom and... Um, and it's like a fun rhyme, but it's also like, you're also like emotionally involved. And it looks like Sodom. Hey, that's fine. Great. It's all right with me. And it's, it's, it is, it's awesome. Look like Sodom from top to bottom. Shopping for the bikes, but it's all right with me. It kind of relates to, you know, some of the lyrics we were talking about in Bridges, where it's like, a, a, you know, somebody looking like third person at what's going on or what happened, right. um, kind of lyrically. You would think that, like, the more first person something is, the more emotional it is, but that's not the case here it's not the case um in a lot of songs and there's like a there's a way to evoke an intense emotion by um you know being outside of something looking at it and like evoking the emotion of like what what this scene means what you know what happened um you know either a memory or like what we're looking at, you know, why that's important. So after a little conversation, he's got keys to the flat. After a little conversation, he just walks across her. Welcome, Matt. Now who'd have thought trust could be bought for a song and a little chat? See, he had friends and family, nowhere near as cool as that she gave him these. Her keys. Now in Beverly Hills, they gave him chills, and South Central put his soul in the deep freeze. She gave him her keys. You know those LA ladies in their Mercedes, they lock their doors if he just sneezed. Now he's like, bitch, please. She gave me her keys. 
said the kind of place I wanna be is where no one's cold or scared of me and then she handed him these her keys yeah I guess no one ever made him feel as real as when she mended him by lending him her keys they said welcome to Amsterdam welcome to Amsterdam you know it's so interesting how memory can feel so urgent and present and 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 of the moment in the theater like that yeah because I mean this show is kind of you know, he's, um, it's all narrated, you know, it's, uh, there, you see scenes happening, but it's, it's Stu or in, you know, other productions, like, you know, not, uh, not Stu, but somebody else, um, is narrating this and talking about this thing that happened and yeah. And it goes in and out of the scenes. Um, but yeah, as you said, like the audience, bringing the audience in at this point um, just works so well. And I think just the fun rhymes is also just a way to bring people in. People just, you know, I feel like I respond to like fun rhymes, those LA ladies and their Mercedes. Yeah. Well, you know, Stu is really working at like a Cole Porter level in this show. Like his lyrics are so clever. And, but they get at something so real. It, it's 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 delicious. It, it's such a thing to savor. That's true. Yeah, that is interesting. Like to marry Cole Porter's type um, lyrics with that kind of emotion. Yeah. Um, and what that does. Um, the next line would lock their door if if he just sneeze now he's like bitch please she gave me yes. keys <laughs> and you know but that's such a, and that that is such a funny moment but it's also such a great evocation of the kind of crap he's had to deal with as, as a black man in america you know like I, I i sneeze in in california and people lock their door but now i can be like f y'all because in amsterdam she gave me her keys bye boo i really love that i love that yeah it's like delighting and delighting in that in a way like she did you know what she gave like what she gave me her keys means yeah totally Well, let us move on to our final section, which is something wonderful. So what upcoming or current musical theater, um, you know, 
filmed musicals or books or events or streaming streamed musical theater things that we are excited about. Yeah, and I guess my first thought was the In the Heights movie, which I've been so excited about and, of course, was supposed to have been able to see months ago, as were we all. Um, I, I, I just feel like, will it ever get here? Because <laughs> the trailer makes it look so good, and I can't wait to see it. That's a good one. I am glad that the prom movie is coming to Netflix soon. There's that, at least. Yes, that I, I really like that show, and I... I'm glad there's going to be another way to experience it. Um, yeah. Uh, a podcast that I have, uh, that I have started a musical theater podcast that I have been listening to is coming back. I'll give a shout out to them. It's called, uh, buried Broadway. And they just, uh, they just take shows that, um, you know, people don't usually either don't know or don't talk about, like, you know, from Broadway's past. And they go, they listen to the album and they go through each song. Um, you know, it's just a fun way to experience shows you may not have heard of or don't know too well. Yeah, so I'll give them a shout out. Well, great. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. And it was so great to revisit Bridges of Madison County. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. The opportunity to revisit it. I'll take any excuse. This was, And it was really nice to be able to revisit the show and know that we were going to be thinking about it in this way. So I, I listened to it very carefully. And it was great. I, it was so rewarding to do that. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scenetosong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by taking a moment to rate it on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at Scene to Song, on Twitter at Scene Song, and on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode. Mm-hmm.